Charles Noe. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 494. It's me and Jason. Uh, we're going to cover Royal Raymond Rife. And man, it is getting tough to look up information on the internet. You know, you'll you'll do a search on something. It'll tell you you got 10,000 returns. You're lucky if the first page isn't replicating returns. And then of those unique returns, you run into the same text on four or five different sites that's been reposted. Ultimate farm, you know, barn wall from Animal Farm. So primarily, this is a bit mainstreamy what's been pulled, but we'll we'll take it apart as we can. And it goes to show you that these important ideas, so many of them, have to do with my catch-all term of cymatics. Vibration is the foundation of everything in this 3D material reality, to include spiritual endeavors, if you really want to be honest and think it through. And that has been pushed to the back of the bus. It's been pushed out the back door of the back of the bus. So many people who were getting into this so long ago, and even as we speak, the technologies they came up with, the things that they learned, the important ideas that they tried to publish, all scrubbed pretty deftly at this point. Jason almost always uses the internet. And as I mentioned, we're pulling from very little here. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. So this whole beginning here, this is going to be what was done to push aside the old ways of medical healing and bring us into the 20th century, which is where Royal Raymond Rife came in to uh, deal with a lot of the crap going on. He was around at the time that the Rockefeller medicine was solidifying its power. You know, how, how is it that we've arrived at a time where the majority of people, every time I end up in a CVS, there is just a line of people at the pharmacy. And what gets me is we had done an episode like years ago, and it was with a doctor, I don't remember who, who said, do you know that none of those drugs have ever cured anything? The closest you can come is maybe with antibiotics. You know, you know, they work, they will stop an infection almost all the time, but We've come to a place where the idea of going for medical help, being cured is almost not even on our minds anymore. When you're accepting a bottle of something that basically deals with symptoms, and here we're going to cover a man who discovered amazing things like I can hit these cancerous cells and affect nothing else around it. And here's how it has to be done. But we're not doing any of that, are we, Jason? Uh, not even close. <laughs> not, not even, not even close. We're we're taking pharmaceuticals and words have meaning. That one in particular, when tracked back through old Greek, means basically scapegoat, inferring the scapegoat that was related to a sacrifice. Not even kidding. Pharmacos. Anyhow, let's let's try to do what we do here. Traditional Western medicine, what you currently find in doctors' offices and hospitals nearly everywhere, teaches and practices the doctrines of well-known French chemist Louis Pasteur, who lived from 1822 until 1895. Pasteur's main theory is known as the germ theory of disease. This theory claims that fixed species of microbes that come from an external source invade the body and are the first cause of infectious disease. This concept of specific and unchanging types of bacteria causing specific diseases became officially accepted as the foundation of allopathic Western medicine and the field of microbiology in the late 1800s. 
This point of view was adopted by America's medical-industrial complex, which began to take shape near the turn of the century. This cartel, if you will, became organized around the American Medical Association, or the AMA, formed by those with drug creation interests for the purpose of manipulating the legal systems to destroy the older homeopathic medical profession. Not too long ago, in America, in this country, they made another run at trying to make it difficult to get homeopathic over-the-counter remedies. Remember that it must have been the 20s when a certain senator took pains to ensure that we have rights, as they would put it, whether or not I give a damn about their rights. They do have control of how hard or easy it is to get a thing, to get homeopathic remedies over the counter without a prescription. And what are we talking about here, Jason? These drugs, primarily, at least at one point, are created from the oil industry, right? They are petroleum-based products, at least a lot of the early ones were. And again, what are we talking about? Turn on your television. That's bad advice. But all the drug commercials you see, you will see a list of heinous side effects almost every time. It's like almost unbelievable to me that anyone in their right mind would ever take any of these drugs. Some of them are for things like eczema and killing your heart might be one of the side effects. Who in the hell would take something for a skin rash that might damage your kidneys or something really serious, harm your liver or your heart? Um, This is where we are. But what's worse is when you take a careful look, what this does is these drugs are primarily aimed at the symptoms, right? And the symptoms from so many of the sane doctors that we've tried to interview here are your body letting you know, hey, man, there's a problem here. So that symptom could be thought of as a warning flag. So what they're basically doing is trying to remove the warning flags, if if I have assessed this properly. But here it is. Germ theory comes to us in 1895, well, in the lifetime that ended in 1895, and it is deftly adopted by allopathic medicine with the aim of removing all other comers. By the way, in my early life, chiropractors were treated like dirt. By doctors. They were fake doctors. They were this. Now, when I talk to people these days, like Fortune or other homeopathists, they have respect for the chiropractors, particularly the old school chiropractors who still were allowed to be a little more tightly connected with the idea of actually trying to heal someone in maybe what could be called a homeopathic way. Anyhow. The Flexner Report is a book-length landmark report of medical education in the United States and Canada, written by Abraham Flexner and published in 1910 under the aegis of the Carnegie Foundation. Many aspects of the present-day American medical profession stem from the Flexner Report and its aftermath. The report, also called Carnegie Foundation Bulletin No. 4, called on American medical schools to enact higher admission and graduation standards and to adhere strictly to the protocols of mainstream science in their teaching and research. The report talked about the need for revamping and centralizing medical institutions. Many American medical schools fell short of the standard advocated in the Flexner Report and, subsequent to its publication, nearly half of such schools merged or were closed outright. Colleges in electrotherapy were closed. Homeopathy, traditional osteopathy, 
eclectic medicine, and physiomedicalism, botanical therapies that had not been tested scientifically, were derided. The report also concluded that there were too many medical schools in the United States and that too many doctors were being trained. A repercussion of the Flexner Report, resulting from the closure or consolidation of university training, was reversion of American universities to male-only admittance programs to accommodate a smaller admission pool. Universities have begun opening and expanding female admissions as part of women's and co-educational facilities only in the mid to latter part of the 19th century with the founding of co-educational Oberlin College in 1833 and private colleges such as Vassar College and Pembroke College. You know, this is a view of the larger world that we're dealing with now. So right now, they're making a run, someone is, to try to control everything. And one of the ways they're trying to do it is by reducing the number of people that have to be controlled. Look what happened here. Well, guess what? We're going to close a bunch of schools because we made up these rules and these other places violate the rules. In short, they're not allopathic, basically. Uh, Anything to do with homeopathy or anything with a track record of actually healing people outside the acceptance. But here's the kicker. And by the way, this is for men only, immediately removing 50%-ish of the world's population. Fewer people, easier to control. And how is this done? And this is the downside of the idea of capitalism, if that's what people want to call how this place was built. In other words, the idea that money and markets is the driving force. What that means, and I'm not trying to deride anything, is a place like the Carnegie Foundation, which has more money than it could spend in a hundred lifetimes, they can take things over, which is exactly what happened to our universities which is exactly what happened to the schools that were shut down, modified, or simply enveloped by other places that were under the control of what? They were under the control of those who paid the bills. And that's why none of this works. And that is the problem with wealth at this level. But everything that was read in that bullet point, you could almost verbatim reflect it out to the world we see now. The old tricks are the best tricks. And they knew what they were doing, too. It was only a matter of time before the old ways were primarily forgotten and certainly not being handed down the way they would have been just a few years earlier. Absolutely. And so what we see is coming into the 20s, you know, by 1930, people like Fortune and some of the older people that I know, by 1930, the writing was on the wall and they knew that Actually, let me go to it this way. There was a group of doctors there that were so educated and so knowledgeable. Why? Because they had all been involved in homeopathy of one kind or another and using plants as medicines that cure you. And they had also gotten their MDs from the allopathic side. So they were almost like double trained. In other words, they had a mind from the old world. They knew what worked. It had been handed down, but they were also trained in the new method. And from what I have been told by people who knew about those times, these were the cream of the crop. Man, you wish you could get a doctor like that. Well, they were the last. As Jason is pointing out, uh, they knew they had broke the line of succession. And think about the things we covered. Do you remember when we did the man named Dinshaw who used colored light? Not even kidding. Colored light for amazing healing abilities. And these were clinically demonstrated. By the way, they came down on that man like a ton of freaking bricks. And you want to know how widespread that was? Go look up Dinshaw and light healing or colored light healing. You can still find things on them. 
There, there were so many of his machines in this country. They are still around to this day, underground, hidden in basements and things like that. But that's what was removed. It's incredible to even consider that here in the 21st century, medical care that I can get easily is a fraction of the worthiness of what I could have gotten in 1900. It's crazy. From the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine website, the Flexner Report of 1910 transformed the nature and process of medical education in America with a resulting elimination of proprietary schools and the establishment of the biomedical model as the gold standard of medical training. This transformation occurred in the aftermath of the report, which embraced scientific knowledge and its advancement as the defining ethos of a modern physician. Such an orientation had its origins in the enchantment with German medical education that was spurred by the exposure of American educators and physicians at the turn of the century to the university medical schools of Europe. American medicine profited immeasurably from the scientific advances that this system allowed, but the hyper-rational system of German science created an imbalance in the art and science of medicine. A catching up is underway to realign the professional commitment of the physician with a revision of medical education to achieve that purpose. Oh, poppycock on that last line. Let's actually say what we know having lived through 2020. For a doctor to practice medicine, that's right, practice is almost unheard of. Why? Because they're under the aegises of administrators who pay their checks, who give them a place to work. In other words, you don't do what the administrators say, you're out on your butt. By the way, the insurance industry, the pharmaceutical industries, they have as much sway over any of this as even the administrators do. How is it that a doctor could be convinced to enforce having someone breathe their own exhaust fumes all day long? Over a hundred years ago in Steiner's time, they wrote plenty of books on the downside of what masking had done and that it actually helps nothing and creates problems. And that doesn't even really start to address what it's like to breathe in your own exhaust fumes for hours in a day. So let's just get that straight. Now, the German science creates an imbalance. That's a bit of an understatement, right? What we're basically saying is what's always true everywhere. I guess everyone loved the movie Highlander. There can only be one. There's your imbalance. In other words, it's our way or the highway. If you want to be a chiropractor, we're going to make it hard. We're going to marginalize you. I don't even think insurance covered chiropractic until I was in my 20s or 30s. It was a rare thing. That's how outside of the acceptable scope it was. And now let's talk about the people who use spagyrics and time-honored healing method methods, things like what Fortune does and the other gentlemen from Uriel that we interviewed, actual with a track record of curing people with a little plant-based, what are you going to call it, a tonic that you put under your tongue. All that's got to go now. In other words, it's our way or the highway. Only one method is going to be supported. And since we have the money, that's the only things we're going to fund in the universities. We're going to grant millions of dollars to build new medical wings. But guess what? They're only going to teach what we want taught. And if you want to know how things go these days in your general practitioner's office, just look at the constantly revolving door of drug reps coming in and out, flattering them, bringing them gifts, taking them to little uh, get-together dinners and all that. 
that's the way it is now. And take it a step further, Jason. You're minding your own business, watching television in your home. And what happens? A hundred drug ads a night come on. If we set aside the god-awful side effects that are going to be listed with almost every one of those, and we're going to set aside that it doesn't actually cure anything, it aims its symptoms, uh, what it's doing is saying, hey, man, have you asked your doctor if this drug is good for you? What the hell ever happened to, I don't feel well, there's something wrong with me, I need to go to a man who's been trained to assess the problem, and then hopefully do something for me to repair this. That's the exact reciprocal that's being brainwashed into our minds. Now it's like, look at that pretty logo. I'm going to go ask my doctor if I can take this pharmaceutical drug. Uh, It's a complete inversion of what's acceptable. And, And I'm happy to say that this time that we're in, that's changing so rapidly, uh, these things are going to come to a head. Uh, For a long time, they've run under radar, so to speak, because it's usually been private families that you don't hear too much about that had the negative effects or the deaths in the family or whatever the downside of allopathy might be for individuals. But we've got the internet now, and this is not a secret. Consider the messaging for Covidius Minimus. Remember how strong it came on in 2020? And remember how kind of impotent it seems now. But don't be fooled. The corporation known as the lawmaker for the world of health concerns, uh, you know who I'm talking about. What is it, Jason? The CC, what is it? CDC. CDC. Those folks have implemented three codes to track people who are not inoculated or, as they put it, under inoculated. But that is all under the radar behind the scenes. We're at a turning point here. And when people, I can't tell you how many emails I've had from people with asthma who said those Recoweg products, I'm blown away. They work. I said, yeah, they do. This is what was pushed off the table. And the drug companies learned a lot from Mr. Edward Bernays because we have commercial after commercial after commercial of smiling, happy people implying that they took this drug And now all of a sudden their life is so much better and there's happy, pleasant music playing in the background. Ask your doctor what this can do for you today. It's crazy, Jason. Even going so far as to make fun of all of us out here, like in big popular shows like Big Bang, uh, one of the main characters was actually a bioengineer, whatever you call the people developing the pharmaceuticals, creating the new drugs. And they're making fun that they made this drug for one thing, but it made your hair fall out or something. Um, It did something. So they applied it to restless leg syndrome, which is a thing they made up in the first place. And it's not funny. You know, this is a comedy doing this because that's actually really happening. And it got, it's so bad that people believe that things like restless leg are actually real now. I actually heard from a person who was involved in the drug that got ported over to a thing called Restless Leg, which he flat out said they made up so that they could sell their drug. And people will email me probably because I said what I said, that I don't know my butt from a hole in the ground because they have Restless Leg Syndrome. Well, I'm here to tell you, according to the people that made that drug, that was made up. That's how bad it's gotten. Abraham Flexner, who lived from November 13th, 1866 until September 21st, 1959, was an American educator, best known for his role in the 20th century reform of medical and higher education in the United States and Canada. 
After founding and directing a college preparatory school in his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, Flexner published a critical assessment of the state of the American educational system in 1908 titled The American College, A Criticism. His work attracted the Carnegie Foundation to commission an in-depth evaluation into 155 medical schools in the U.S. and Canada. It was his resultant self-titled Flexner Report, published in 1910, that sparked the reform of medical education in the United States and Canada. Flexner was also a founder of the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, which brought together some of the greatest minds in history to collaborate on intellectual discovery and research. You notice how all of a sudden this issue is crossing the border? How many issues back in this time can you honestly assess said went across the border to Canada? But they couldn't have a situation where Canada was left alone and they had the old school way because pretty soon people would be doing what they do going down to Mexico. Everyone knows if they can cross the border in San Diego to Mexico, they can get their drugs at a fraction of the price that they're paying in the United States. Same thing would have happened here. People would have been unhappy with the level of medical attention and it would have become known that Canada was old school and they had things that work. People have been crossing the border. I'm just asking, how many things can you think of all the way back in the 1900s that were crossing the border by a Carnegie Foundation? And what this says is his work, the criticism that he wrote, attracted Carnegie. I would be willing to guess that it's the other way around. What would you guess, Jason? Do you suppose he did this and attracted them? Or do you suppose he was directed or maybe even paid in the first place? Well, he was eventually Paid. They got the proper person to do the job, it seems to have been. And the Carnegie's, this is the robber baron situation. These are the people who tried to restructure society the way they damn well pleased because they had so much money to do so. And this is what we saw with the Rockefellers and several of the other big name families from back then. Remember the King Kill episode we just did where we're reading from King Kill 33 and Downard says how fascinated the black magicians are with railroads with bridges, modes of transportation. I think he throws in their lawyers and something else. Many of these robber barons are directly tied to the creation of the railroad and then many of them to oil, which is another form of transportation. But I read it the same way. Back in the day when I was studying this, I took it to mean that the Carnegie Foundation made this man possible. That's the way I took it. The Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching is a U.S.-based education policy and research center. It was founded by Andrew Carnegie in 1905, then chartered in 1906 by an act of the United States Congress as an independent policy and research center called to, quote, do and perform all things necessary to encourage, uphold, and dignify the profession of the teacher and the cause of higher education. Among its most notable accomplishments are the development of the Teachers Insurance and Annuity Association, the Flexner Report on Medical Education, the Carnegie Unit, the Educational Testing Service, and the Carnegie Classification of Institutions of Higher Education. Hey, does anyone out there ever wonder how we get the systems that run society? Well, it's a Carnegie, it's a Rockefeller, it's a rich person, it's a robber baron, and they have trusts and they have institutions and they have all these things. In other words, the person with the most money has the most pull in a 
part of the world like we have called capitalism. You can either choose to fund a thing or defund a thing. You can give millions of dollars because that's not even a drop in your bucket and have entire wings built on a school somewhere or a university to support what you want. And by the way, if you're wondering how modern research is done, guess who funds it? In other words, if there's something they don't want researched, it don't get funded. Or maybe even if it is getting researched, they come along and say, we'll give you $2 billion with a B to stop all this and research this other thing. It's complete control. So here enters Dr. Raymond Royal Rife. So into this shifting of the medical thinking in this country, enforced, yes, indeed, Dr. Royal Raymond Rife was a prolific American inventor and early promoter of high-magnification, time-lapse cinema micrography. He was born in Elkhorn, Nebraska on May 16, 1888. His mother died when he was just eight months old. Because his father, a mechanical engineer, worked 14 to 16 hours a day, the young Rife was put in the care of his aunt, Nina Kolber Rife Dryden, who raised him as her own. In 1905, he entered Johns Hopkins University to pursue medical studies, but his interest in bacteriology took him into the world of microbiology. He then attended Heidelberg University in Germany, where he developed photomicrographs for their Atlas of Parasites. Heidelberg University was so appreciative, they awarded him an honorary Doctor of Parasitology. In the 1930s, he claimed that by using his specially designed optical microscope, he could observe microbes which were too small to view with the current technology. Rife also invented a beam ray device that could potentially weaken or destroy cancer cells. Rife still has a strong following among the wellness and holistic health communities who believe that his anti-cancer technologies have been suppressed and should be given a thorough review. Royal Raymond Rife's devices are now being manufactured by independent electronics companies and sold, for the most part, worldwide. What does Willy Wonka say? And here we see a glimmer of light. Yeah, these things are true. We're, we're in an age switch. And the funny thing about the controls that we see is back in the day, it was science. Look what all that we've done with science. And here's more good science. And by the way, those German engineers, there's some more science. And that's kind of how it was wrapped up and sold. And I don't think people realized that it was replacing everything else they'd come to know. But here's Royal Raymond Rife. We'll just call him Rife. May 16, 1888. So if I'm not mistaken, this would be within the purview of Beethoven's lifetime, just to put a, a reference in your mind. So in 1905, he goes to Johns Hopkins University. He still remembers the old world, right? This is going to be the 30s when the levy is put in place and things are really that last generation of just ama- what we would consider amazing doctors is living according to people like Fortune who knew them. So he claims all of a sudden, I've got this, uh, this optical device that can see things that we could never see before. Well, how did we get to germ theory? You got to wonder if there's all these things that were too small to be observed before he did what he did. But the real big deal here is, is what they're calling a beam ray. All of a sudden, he's saying, guess what? I can aim a frequency at a thing, and I can resonate the frequency of that thing until it destroys itself, pops, or basically stops living. 
The great thing is, is it doesn't damage the cells to the left or the right because they're resonating at a different frequency. And I don't know how long we're going to get into this, Jason, but it's actually not that simple. There are examples that I was looking up recently where they found the resonant frequency, but they worked out that it had to be 11 octaves above paired with it and things like this. In other words, it took some real work to determine, and let's also not overlook how similar this is to the supposed Tesla vibration device. It's the same idea, isn't it? I can take this little vibrating box, put it on a huge bridge and walk away. And over days, the resonation of that little vibrating box will come to resonation with the bridge. And at some point, the bridge just falls down, right? This is the importance of cymatics. I'm telling a story about a bridge, and this guy's telling a story about a thing with the same principle that is so small, we can't even see it with our naked eye. Cymatics is a big deal. So this comes back to something we've discussed many times now. Frequency and vibration are everything. Just look at the work of Walter Russell, for instance. Everything, everything, everything. And Russell is such a prime example because of the way he took his own personal enlightenment that went on for 30 some odd days and he drew graphs by hand. And it is in that that you realize the motion of spirals so critically important. The motion, the idea of vibratory rates and how form is created, it's a big deal. And we had it so long ago. But anyhow, let's go visit my part of the world. From 1904 to 1908, Reif worked with Hans Lukel. Carl Zeiss, optical scientist and researcher at Zeiss Optical Works. Passionate about the ability of microscopes to make organisms visible to the human eye, Reif set out to improve their resolution and magnification. In 1912, Reif moved to San Diego, California, where he established his first research laboratory. During that same year, he married Mamie Ah Quill, who came from a prominent Chinese family in San Diego. In association with the Zeiss firm, Dr. Reif and his wife traveled extensively to and from Europe right before World War I. During the years just prior to the Great Depression, Dr. Reif apparently worked for both the United States government and the Carl Zeiss optics firm. Moreover, as he received a research fellowship in biochemistry from the Andean Anthropological Expedition Institute, he was probably doing private research on his own. All right, there's a lot to unpack here, but even to this day, Zeiss optics are a big deal. When I was getting my first telescope, those eyepieces with that name on it, they were expensive and there was a reason. They were some of the best around, but let's zero in. I can only imagine what a dream land it must have been to be in San Diego in 1912. Unreal what that place would have been like back then. But there's two points I'm going to make. He marries a Chinese lady from a prominent Chinese family. And this is a period of time when white people are looking at everyone else is less. And this tells you something about the character of the man, right? He loved who he loved and be damned with, you know, whatever the social acceptance is. But there's another thing here. Keep in mind, this is pre-World War One. Now we just did a King Kill 33 episode pointing out what 1963 meant to America. This actually starts way the hell back. And if I really have to draw the initial, this is a big deal, the world's never going to be quite the same after this, that day would be World War, or that event would be World War I. So the world that he's looking at has not had the, the switch flipped quite yet, but he's going to be there to witness 
at least the beginnings of it. In 1920, he began constructing his first microscope and patented a high-intensity lamp for microscope use in 1929. The patent number is 1727618. Some of his technological inventions are said to still be used today in the fields of optics, electronics, radiochemistry, biochemistry, ballistics, and aviation. So isn't it strange when you hear things like this, that in the analog era, particularly with optical things, because what are we talking about? We're talking about lenses, mostly with Zeiss. You know, there's other things too, but these are things that are, maybe we could view it like this. There's a thing called glass, which we built from things from nature and light works the way it works. So we're figuring out how to make the best possible optic things based on the rules that nature teaches us are true about light. So even up to this day, 1929, and they're still using these things, but now consider the entry of digital, where now we're actually going to start moving away from actual optical points of view with a human eye or otherwise, it will all be digital on some level. You can kind of get the sense of the separation of nature. But in the same way, we're told we went to the moon and the rocket that got us there was the amazing Saturn V. And we're told in the same breath that Mr. Werner did most of it. We lost all the blueprints. Even with computers and the level of technology we've achieved since then, no one can quite replicate that amazing thing. Well, that nonsense is actually nonsense, but this is not. He invented a thing in 29. And think about it. Electronics radiochemistry, biochemistry, ballistics, aviation. These are some pretty big high-tech industrial concerns to still be using what he did. How is it that we lost everything he put forward? And that's the main point here. It was not lost. It was censored in the same way the internet is censoring almost everything we can get our hands on today. And we'll get by this and this will have to come to an end. But when we see the resurgence of Rife Tech the ideas attributed to Tesla, the idea of homeopathic remedies, which actually cure you, then we will know that we are kind of getting past the leverage point and getting on to the new era that we're going to be entering. Reif built his first known microscope, number one, in 1920. It was constructed on an optical bench, like a lathe bed. Microscope number two was similar in construction, built in 1923 in a vertical format like a standard microscope as we see today. That microscope was sent to Northwestern University for Dr. Arthur Kendall's use, apparently for some time in the 1932 time frame. Microscope number three was built in 1933, which was known as the Universal Microscope. It had provisions for polarized, bright field, dark field, infrared, and ultraviolet imaging. The universal microscope was the unit which allowed for examination of live virus samples. Microscope number four, which had no polarizing stage but offered magnifications up to 15,000 times, was built in 1935 and appears to have been an early version of a much simpler universal microscope which Dr. Reif hoped to commercially manufacture. Reif commented in one of his letters, that number four had been built at the request of a manufacturer, but he does not say who that might have been. In papers from England in the 1938 period, it is mentioned that number four had been sent to England, and a technician working for Dr. Reif went there to help install it. 
Later, it is mentioned that number four was sent back to Dr. Reif in 1939, and at some point, a newer number five microscope was sent. Microscope number five, built about 1938, is currently in the Science Museum in London, England, and while it is not available for normal viewing, groups of researchers have been able to closely examine it, and a videotape of it was made in 1999. All right, so just to recap, you know, this begins the microscope Number one begins in 1920, and we're coming up into the 30s, right? And now apparently this thing's on mothballs and no one can see it. Lord knows why. But the big thing here is, and get over the word virus, please, just let it go. And by the way, people who have used dark field microscopy actually still use the word virus, just to be perfectly clear, although I agree with everyone listening, the word virus as it is used currently is misapplied and not honest. There is still devices that look at living things and label them viruses. And this is part of the clever catch-22 we have to deal about, uh, uh, deal with, because the people who have caught on, uh, every time that word is said, they lose their minds. But what are we talking about? They put it here, the examination of live virus samples. But let's just throw out the word virus and say living samples. That, as it turns out, is a big deal from some of the most respected medical people that I know who actually cure things because I've witnessed it, they tell you that these dark field microscopes and other things, which by the way, have come down in price and some people can afford them now. They're like some of them near a thousand or under a thousand bucks. You're actually looking at a living thing. Most of the microscopes that were used in the medical field, I am told, are using dead samples that have been mounted on a slide. So again, it's like using the word antibiotic. Yeah, we know it'll stop an infection. Yeah, we know they give it to a lot of people for a lot of reasons. But what does that word mean again? Against life. So maybe the use of a thing that is labeled against life should be very carefully administered. And as far as I can tell, that's really the only pharmaceutical that is guaranteed to have something akin to a cure. In other words, I've got an infection. I can take this. There, the infection's dealt with. What doesn't get mentioned is that it took out a lot of things in your body beyond the infection. Getting back to the point, it appears that Mr. Reif may have been one of the first people to recognize that being able to view very small things while they're still alive was important because there is a difference between looking at living things and looking at dead things. In 1913, Dr. Reif met with industrial tycoon Henry Timken. Timken had been born in Germany and emigrated to the United States when he was seven. He patented the tapered roller bearing in 1898 and established the Timken Roller Bearing Axle Company. Timken sought Dr. Reif's help to solve a quality control issue with his manufacturing. Dr. Reif designed and built an X-ray machine that checked each bearing that came out of the plant and rejected any faulty bearings before they would be sent out as a finished product. This saved the company millions of dollars. Timken was so pleased that he set up a monthly lifetime payment to Dr. Reif. When Mrs. Timken fell ill, baffling her doctors, Dr. Reif suspected it might be something she was eating, so he made a search of her kitchen. Analyzing various foods with his microscope, he pinpointed the cause bacteria in her spice cabinet. She soon regained her health. Dr. Reif was also able to restore health to Timken's sister, Amelia Bridges, 
who happened to be married to Henry Timken's business partner. When she died in 1940, she left Dr. Reif $50,000 to continue his work. Henry Timken and his partner, Bridges, were so impressed with Dr. Reif, they set up a fund to finance a fully equipped laboratory at Point Loma, California. Back in my old stomping grounds, Point Loma, a beautiful place. I can only imagine what it would have been like back then. What are we talking about here? Some very wealthy people were cured by Rife and his know-how. And how did this man come to be such a savant? Um, Microscopy, x-rays, the ability to say, I think this might have to be something with food. Let's go look at the kitchen. Lo and behold. But this is not far away from the story of Max Gerson, Charlotte Gerson's father, who cured cancer in the 1930s, or it was announced then. Um, How is it that the people who run this joint want to see these things gone? And I would point out to you that they don't. They have their secret doctors on the sides that they use with their families. They just don't want it available to the general public. Why? Because fewer people are easier to control. So the real question becomes, was all this rife work kept alive? Do we have documents of it? But what we know for certain was people highly placed in society were damn impressed and gave him enough money to run into perpetuity. I don't know what 50 grand is worth in 1940s, but I'm guessing it's quite a bit. In the 1930s, Dr. Reif was frustrated by the technological limitations of conventional light microscopy. The most powerful light microscopes in existence only reached a magnification of 2,500 times, allowing scientists to see molds, bacteria, and parasites, but not viruses. Since Dr. Reif believed that viruses were at the root of many diseases, he believed with a more powerful microscope, he could find the true cause of many diseases. Hence, Dr. Reif used the Point Loma Laboratory, along with Timken's generous funds, to further develop his universal microscope and frequency therapy. Dr. Reif redesigned his microscope with an even higher magnification. According to a report submitted to the Journal of the Franklin Institute, it had a magnification of 60,000 times. The ocular was binocular, but it also had a detachable segment lower in the body for monocular observation at 1,800 times magnification. Reif's universal microscope used all types of illumination, polarized, monochromatic or white light, dark field, slit ultra, and infrared. The monochromatic light caused the organism to fluoresce. As with bacteria, Dr. Reif could identify the virus he was observing by the color that it refracted. It is said that he would sometimes work for as long as 20 hours at a time to get a virus in focus. All right, so here we have the modern conundrum. We've seen what's been done with the idea of viruses. We've seen what's become of the word virus, but I will maintain to you that very accomplished doctors that I know will tell you that with dark field microscopy, I think it's dark field, and other ways of actually looking at thousands of times magnified things that are still alive, there is actually a thing there that is properly labeled a virus. That's all I can tell you. And I'm not going to even get into the nonsense that we just did in 2020, because as we all know, that was made up and their cause and their names and their words were all fear porn nonsense. But look what's going on here. The man is getting down to the nitty gritty. He's got polarized light, monochromatic, white light, dark field, slit, ultra, 
and infrared. Now, what are we talking about here? Again, I'm going to refer to cymatics. Everything vibrates. So when we're talking about the types of light, even that goes back to the basic building lot building blocks of this 3D material material reality. In other words, polarized light or monochromatic light or what they all have a different, we could say, frequency or vibrational rate. So he's getting to the brass tacks of the realities of this place. How is it that all the work he did became lost? Oh yeah, that's right. It got censored. And for the last point for hour one, Rife's universal microscope used different mediums for bending light than normal optics. One factor enabling these natural images was Dr. Reif's use of a device called a Risley counter-rotating prism. This consists of two circular, wedge-shaped prisms mounted face-to-face and set in a geared bezel, and so geared as to turn each prism through 360 degrees in opposite directions by means of an extended handle. Reif built a special mount under the stage to accommodate these instruments, and through which he directed a powerful monochromatic beam from his patented lamp. At various declinations of the refracted and polarized ray, normally invisible bodies would become visible in a color specific to their structure or chemical makeup. All optical elements in this microscope were made of block quartz, which permits the passage of ultraviolet rays. There's no lie in nature, and Mr. Reif knew it. Normally, invisible bodies would become visible in a color specific to their structure and chemical makeup. So what creates color? Well, it's a vibrational rate. That's one way to describe it. What creates structure? Well, cymatic plates prove to us that a certain frequency will create a certain geometry. Therefore, a structure is created by vibration. So what can we say of chemicals or anything else? And how is he doing it? He's making his microscope elements from a block of quartz. Who makes quartz? Well, the creator made quartz. So here we are. And I would suggest to you that with the limited ability we have with one, to be fair, I probably could have gone and found books that got further than what Jason got off the internet. My point is a lot of this is not lost. And what could actually be learned if people still had devices like this? Maybe they do. When we take the current level of technology all the things computers can do for us, and we reapply it to know more about what was going on here, we'd probably be sitting pretty, pretty, sitting pretty, literally, right? A long way from here's a handful of drugs, go take these and go die eventually, which is basically a lot of what goes on now. In other words, this all still exists, or at least hints of it. And to some degree, we know some of the devices still exist. This is going to come back into fashion. I would estimate. I mean, what do you think, Jason? Do you think we're at the point where all these over a hundred year old technologies are going to come back to the forefront and the individuals who based nature to create what they created? Well, the one thing I don't understand, and I never have knowing the rife information, is how is it decades and decades later, they don't have microscopes that can do what he supposedly was doing all the way back then? Well, that's a good question. I would estimate, if I had to venture a guess, that most of the medical research that goes on is funded, right? And we know who the places that do the funding are. So probably they don't want them getting too close to the truth because tools like this are going to do one thing. They're going to teach you things from nature and nature doesn't teach you any lies. 
what are we doing here? We're using a block of quartz to make lenses. We've got an ingenious way that we're going to rotate prisms and other things. And all of a sudden, these things that are not visible to us become visible in color, specific to what they are. That's nature teaching you truths all day long. It makes me wonder if I could talk to Mr. Rife, I would say, Mr. Rife, do you know if blue is a frequency? And what would that frequency be? Does a cube have a frequency? I'm guessing how, of course, he must have known this. So when you're looking at a thing that he designed that's color specific, I would make the assumption that that color was telling him something about the frequency that makes it. And if that is true, think about what it means to resonate this tiny little cancer cell as an example. Well, first of all, you've got to know the resonant frequency of the cell itself. Then you've got to feed it back into resonation. And then I think we'll get there. You pile these other frequencies on. Last time I looked at it, it was 11 octaves paired with frequencies. And there's video out there that you can look up on the internet of a cancer cell literally being exploded. It just kind of pops open and all the goo comes out of the middle of it. It's gone. All the other cells around it, they're just fine. So I think it's safe to say this is the only direction we can go in. And why? Because these are the proofs of nature. These are true things, not made up things not some laboratory put up of a pharmaceutical drug or a thing made with no intention of curing anything. He was coming at it the other way, I think. I think he was saying, I know that nature tells me the truth and I can't make up truth, so I'm going to seek truth and nature will confirm it when I get there. And when I confirm a truth, I know it's the real deal. And I'm guessing that's probably the reason everything he did has been pushed pretty much off the internet and out of the medical industry. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up hour one? Well, his life was very, very interesting, but unfortunately, we're going to get to the sad parts where he was right on the money and they came after him hard. They've done it to all of them. Look at the stories of the the myth, legend, and man, I guess I'll say, Tesla. You know, look, he, he was supposedly broke, died in a hotel room. Donald Trump's uncle or grandfather, first person through the door, to steal his life's work and what he'd figured out. Dinshaw, the man with colored light, there's a whole book published on what they did to him. Max Gerson announced he cured cancer in the 30s. Look what happened to him, poisoned to death. His daughter, Charlotte, takes it for her lifetime. We lost Charlotte two, maybe three years ago, maybe two years ago. And now I am hearing that Gerson has become very corporatized. So this is what happens. The capitalist medical establishment won't have any contenders. And this is the big hope of our time. We're getting past this. We're beginning to realize so many people going for the organic, going for the homeopathic, looking for the Recoweg remedies. That's going the opposite direction. And I truly expect that over the next few years, we're going to see this shift away from allopathy. Allopathy has showed us an overreach starting in 2020 that is unforgivable. And even the people who didn't know then that it was unacceptable are starting to realize now. But anyhow, there's hour one of episode 494. Everyone come to crow777radio.com to catch hour one for free. Members know to log in, uh, shoot the moon, the movie, two-hour film with 10 awards about my telescope work that Jason created is free to all membership. We're going to get all the way through the story of Dr. Royal Raymond Reif. And it's a hell of a thing. And it's another one of those names of someone who contributed so much value to the human condition. And yet every effort was made to wipe it off the table. 
But here we are at the change point. Maybe we can get back to these things. With that, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. We're going to take five minutes. We're going to come back and knock out hour two and complete the tale of Mr. Rife. There it is, man. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.